This morning is Sunday. It is uh, October 20th, and uh, it's 2013. We're going to begin in John 6 this morning. Our message is called Pitbull. In John 6.35, I want to tell you about some I am statements in the Bible. And those of you seasoned veteran Christians, if you tune me out, you will have made a mistake. You may have heard a thousand messages on the I am statements in the Bible, but uh, these are different, and they're different for a reason. And uh, I don't know who originated that. <laughs> I can say confidently that the Apostle John is the first one to have taught on the seven I am statements he wrote about in the Gospel of John. But I want to tell you I number them differently, and I do for a reason. I found something beautiful in, uh, in Hebraic roots that I think will, will mean more to you, and then uh, we're going to focus in on some things. So in John 6, starting in verse 35, are you all with me? Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. What a beautiful promise that the living God has given us. He spoke to a nation that had actually received bread that arrived from heaven. Anybody in here like fresh baked bread? Yeah. Oh, man. I remember some years ago when... We went to a house and they had a machine that was dedicated to nothing but baking bread. Yeah, it might have been your house, Patricia. Seven, seven nut or seven layer or seven something banana bread. Banana was so close to the word manna, Jay, that I just thought it was heavenly. We started calling it banana bread. If you ever had a chance to see Exodus 16 and Numbers 11, the people of God woke up every day and they gathered something. They had to go out and whatever they gathered was enough for that day. It wasn't enough for the next day. It was enough for that day. Unless they were gathering the day before the Sabbath. I want to tell you, Jesus is enough for today. Amen? He is enough. When they looked at this ground manna that looked like coriander seed, manna means, what is it? Very often we've looked at the Son of God and we've not been sure, what is it? But if you are diligent to search him out, if you seek the face of the living God, he will feed you from his presence. He is the bread of life, and if you depend upon him, you will never go hungry. How many of you want to eat of the heavenly bread today? With all of my heart, I want a taste of heaven today. Turn me to John 8. We'll be in the 12th verse for just a minute. In the 12th verse of John 8, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It's an amazing thing. The 20th verse places the location where Jesus said this. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple area near the place where the offerings were put. <laughs> the place where the offerings were put, if you could draw a temple diagram, was right outside, 75 feet high, candelabras. They were giant menorahs to remind Israel of the time period in which they followed a cloud by day and a fire by night. In Exodus 13, the 21st verse, it says that that cloud never left its position in front of them. 
of people had been trained for 40 years in the desert while all the nations watched. When the cloud camps, you camp. When the cloud moves, you move. You can travel at nighttime or in the daytime. It makes no difference if you're following the living God. For some of you, you feel like it's a dark hour. For others, you feel like you're experiencing the light of life. These are the best years you could possibly have. In the same room, at the same time, in the same circumstances, you're always going to have people who think that it's bright as the noonday sun or it's dark as the midnight hour. It depends on how you're experiencing the things that are around you. I want you to know that the people of God follow Jesus whether it's nighttime or daytime. And we're blessed for putting one foot in front of the other and following him. He leads us into battle and he leads us out the other side. He leads us into our harvest and he leads us out the other side. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. If we follow him, even in the midst of darkness, it's not dark for us. Is there an amen in the house of God? How about I am the good shepherd? Turn with me to John 10. In John 10, the 11th verse, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. We uniquely follow a God who has set the example for us in every way. He has laid down his life to teach us how to lay down ours. He has taken up his life again to show us how to take up his. Saturday afternoon, we were, oh, we were doing what Christians do. Sitting around eating. It was a potluck here at the church. More like a barbecue luck. We barbecued whatever anybody brought. And it was good. Amen? Amen. Bratwurst. Hot links. We had brisket. It was good. Was it good, Matthew? I love the Lord. The shepherd leads us into good things. When Jesus stands and says, I am the good shepherd, he's referring to Ezekiel 34. In the fourth verse of Ezekiel 34, God had rebuked the shepherds of Israel. He said, you have not strengthened the flock. You haven't healed the sick. You haven't bound up the injured. You haven't brought back the strays. You haven't searched for the lost. There are two kinds of shepherds in this world, those that are interested in feeding themselves and those that are interested in feeding the sheep. Jesus laid down his life that you might have him, the bread of heaven. Every time we take communion, every single time, we're commemorating the fact that he is the bread that we live on. We're commemorating the fact that he is the good shepherd that sacrificed himself for us and told us to do likewise. When we look at what the good shepherd is, we see what we ought to be. We know that we're supposed to strengthen his flock. We know that we are supposed to heal the sick, that we are supposed to bind up the injured, that we're supposed to bring back strays and search for the lost. Saints, how many of you want to be like Jesus? Here are five commands for us to be like Jesus, five ways to be like good shepherds, five ways to make the world around us a better place. When you hear someone being slandered, do you join in? They're already being killed. How much more dead do you want them to be? We have a choice whether or not we extend hell into people's lives or we show them the reality of the kingdom. Jesus showed us the reality of the kingdom. 
How about John 11? Look at verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in him will never die. Do you believe this? Oh, my goodness. The king of kings, probably referencing something like Daniel 12. Daniel 12 said that there would be a day in which many would rise out of the dust of the earth. Those who would sleep would rise. The ones who were wise would shine and have an everlasting life. Those who were unwise to contempt. Jesus is not only the one that causes all men to rise, whether good or evil. At his word, the righteous and the unrighteous will come out of the ground in bodies that are fitted for their eternal state. But he will cause some of those to experience a life that makes this look dull in comparison. You ever been in worship and you got a taste of him? I mean in worship and suddenly whatever was hounding you, it just had no power over you anymore? Come on now, church. Have a few of you been corrected this week? Have we gotten our spankings in the house of God occasionally? Get our encouragements in the house of God occasionally? Did you have a, a disagreement with somebody this week? Christianity is a full contact sport. I mean, if somebody says it's all easy and it's all flowers, they are selling you something. I want to encourage you, don't buy it. The kingdom could use money. Let the charlatans do whatever it is the charlatans do. Christianity's hard. There's nothing easy about it. But if you're following the good shepherd, he's been there before you. If he's the resurrection and the life, whether you're alive or dead, he's able to work with you. He can bring the dead back to life, and he can show those who are alive what real life really is. We have hope. The Gospel of John sets out to display Jesus in a way that the world might never have seen them if he didn't write these things. How about John 14? Look at the fifth statement. In John 14, in the sixth verse, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You might write down the 35th chapter of Isaiah. And if you had a chance to read Isaiah 35, looking somewhere around verses 8 through 10, you would find that there would be a highway stretching through a wilderness. That that highway would be called a way of holiness. That the unclean would never journey about on it that it would be for those who walk in that way. The early followers of Jesus called themselves followers of the way. They considered themselves a sect within Judaism. They never considered themselves to have left Judaism because Judaism was the only authentic faith on the planet. And those who were in love with Yahweh God that had found his Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach, the physical bodily form of God. Colossians says in him the fullness of the deity dwells. They said they were followers of the way. They had found the one who would show them how to walk in holiness. The one who had shown them what truth is. Who had shown them the path of life as Psalm 25 says. I found that. I know the way. I know the truth. And I know the life. With all of my heart I want to walk in it. I want to experience it. 
I want to grow in it. And like Timothy 2.22 says, I want to pursue it along with those who are calling on God out of a pure heart. How many of you are in the way? I mean, you're not close to the way. You're not looking at it from a distance. You don't know where it's at. You haven't seen it on a map somewhere. You are walking in that way because the way of Jesus Christ is called the way of holiness. Come on now. Churches have taught us to define holiness as what you don't do. I'm holy because I don't drink, I don't chew, and I don't go with girls that do. No, that's not holiness. Holiness is when we do the things that the Lord says for us to do. Holiness is when his word is no longer an option. It is your highest delight and a command. Are you in the way of holiness this morning? Because it is a good way. There is life in it. It's a truthful way. You feel empowered from the heavens. Saints, you ought never have to walk into the house of God and hang your head. He never intended for you to be covered in shame. He came to wash it away. He came to do away with it and send it to the very depths of hell. We do not have to walk around beat up and cast down. Heaven knows our names. How about John 15? In John 15 and the fifth verse. I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Boy, this sums up our relationship, doesn't it? Jesus is the source Jesus is the only way by which your life could be called a success. Jesus is the very fuel for your fire. He is everything or he is nothing to you. But why a vine? Oh, if you have the chance after the service, look up Isaiah 5, 1 through 7. Write down Isaiah 27, 2 through 6. God had a vineyard, and his vineyard was Israel. And Jesus is the personification of Israel. And he has grafted you as a branch into his vineyard. He's allowed a people who did not qualify to become qualified by way of our relationship to his son. Oh, man. Did you ever not make the cut? I mean, all the kids are picking their teams. Kid who couldn't move out of sight in two weeks got all-time quarterback. The strong one got the lineman's position. Somebody who could run fast got the split ends position, and you know, you're last, and I'm sorry, the team's full. I'm sure all of you were champions in your former lives. I rarely ever hear athletic stories where people were not regular legends in their own mind, if nowhere else. But I know what it is to not make the cut. I know what it is to find yourself standing on the outside and you simply were not good enough. Come on, that doesn't minister to a person in here. Because the living God said, I am the vine. I'm what you're connected to. You are the branches. All you have to do to make the cut is stay connected to me. If you ever found yourself down and out, if you ever found yourself in a place where you simply didn't measure up, didn't qualify, Jesus is willing to graft you into him. And friends, he's a success in the eyes of God when no one else was. 
Oh, it's good to be grafted in, isn't it? Now, he said, he's the vine and you are the branches. Earlier, in the first verse, he says, he's the vine and his father is the gardener. Or vine tender. It depends on your translation. You know what he does with branches that don't remain in him? They're fit for the fire. You know why? What could be worse in our lives than to not measure up, not qualify, not be good enough, and someone says, I'll qualify you. I'll cause you to measure up. I'll be good enough. And you try it for a while and say, no, no thanks. I would rather go back to what I was before. Boy, wouldn't that be spitting in the face of God? It really would. It's funny how many commentaries try to twist that out. He defines exactly what he uh, writes about. And he does it in the first three verses. Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. The seventh I am statement. You'll find this in John 18. If some of you are scratching your head going, why did he skip? I am the gate. How do we get a seventh statement in John 18? I don't feel any particular compulsion to preach like Spurgeon. I don't feel any particular compulsion to follow after John Wesley. I don't feel any particular compulsion to simply repeat what we've heard said for centuries. Does it surprise you to find out there are more than seven I am statements in John? Does it surprise you to find out that there's innumerable times in which Jesus says, I am God in one way or another? Does it surprise you to find out that no matter where you look in the word, you can find something that magnifies him? I always wondered how we ended up with seven statements that didn't include this one. I know today how. Turn with me to John 18 and we'll be in verse 5. Actually, verse 4. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it you want? Does that, are those the actions of a man who's scared? Are those the actions of a man who's trying to save his life, protect his life? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, said Jesus. Is that how you would say it? If I say, hey, JJ, how are you doing, man? You are JJ, aren't you? Would JJ stand up and say, I am he? Has anybody in here talked like that? At least not since, and this is the NIV. It's not as if we're translating Shakespearean English. Why would he say, I am he? Let's first look at the results of his words. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, what's it say? They drew back and fell to the ground. Come on, you crazy charismatics. It's like they got slain in the spirit and not in the way you hope to be slain in the spirit. I am he. Where does that come from? Hey, let me ask you. Can you give me a show of hands? How many of you have heard a message at some point in your life on the seven I am statements of John? Bunch of us. Might even heard many of them. Can we have a show of hands for anybody that has seen the seven I am statements of Isaiah? One person in the room. Two. You know, I think we failed to understand something. I am he is a way to say I am everything that Yahweh God is and there is no other. And for centuries we've preached the seven I am statements of John. We've said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection in the life. I am the way, the truth in the life. I am the vine. And they squeeze in there, I am the gate. 
And is Jesus the gate? Of course he is. But we've left out, I am he. You know, if all Jesus is is something good to eat, if all Jesus is is a flashlight that's convenient, if all Jesus is is the one who navigates you out of your troubles, if all Jesus is is your fire insurance policy for the resurrection, if all Jesus is is a good way to live, if all Jesus is is a vine, a garden to you, you're missing the beautiful parts of what Jesus is. I am he is a way to say I am God in the way that God revealed himself to Isaiah. Turn with me to Isaiah 41. See the fourth verse. Who has done this and carried it through? Calling forth the generations from the beginning. I, the Lord, with the first of them and with the last. I am he. When God's name appeared in the scripture, when the prophets prophesied about him, they simply said, I am he. Who is it that has been from the first generation of man all the way through? God has. And Jesus says, I am he. How about Isaiah 43, 10? You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me was no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. It almost sounds as if God is the first and the last, the exclusive God. And Jesus said, I am he. How about Isaiah 43, verse 13? Yes, and from the ancient of days, I am he. No one can deliver out of my hand when I act. Who can reverse it? Almost as if God is saying, when I decide to do something, no one can stop it. And of course, Jesus is saying, I am he. Isaiah 43 in verse 25. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. And Jesus says, I am he. How about Isaiah 46 in verse 4? Even to your old age in gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. And Jesus says, I am he. Oh, friends, Jesus is so many beautiful things. How about Isaiah 48, 12? Listen to me, O Jacob, Israel, whom I have called. That weeds so, so interestingly, if you read the functions of the names into it. Listen to me, O deceiver, you prince with God whom I've called. I am he. I am the first and the last. He is the God who takes men who are deceivers and changes their very nature and makes them princes. Jesus said... I am he. How about Isaiah 51 and verse 12? I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that you fear mortal men? The sons of men are but grass. Who is our comforter? God is. And Jesus said, I am he. Jesus did not just give seven I am statements in the book of John. Jesus gave an I am statement in the 18th chapter of John that connects him to every I am in the Bible. 
who spoke to Moses at the burning bush. Well, the fullness of the deity is in the man, Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am he. Amen. Would you like to look at one a little more closely? Is that okay? All right. Turn with me to John 8. We're going to be in John 8. And remember, this is where our I am the light of the world came in. By the way, in verse 20, where it said he was by the treasury. If you had to imagine where the guards were stationed for the temple, where do you think they were stationed? I would imagine where the money is, right? I mean, you don't, you don't guard the juice boxes if you've got gold bars laying around, huh? Jesus had absolutely no fear to say who he was wherever he was. Isn't it worth thinking about, Christians, that we ought not be a vibrant, strong, powerful Christian inside these walls, any weak, emaciated, quiet, fearful Christian outside of these walls? Why can we not be whatever we are, wherever we are? Jesus did not bend to his surroundings, ever. If he's the light of the world, he leads you through dark times. He leads you through light times. It's always day while you're following him. In John 18, pick up with me in, I'm sorry, John 8, pick up with me in verse 30. Even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. That's a good thing, isn't it? Even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. Well, then it's a wrap. We're done. We're done, right? Because the point is that you believe on Jesus, you put your faith in him, and we're, we're done. That's all there is. I mean, fill out the evangelism card. Let us know how many decisions there were. We will brag about our numbers at the headquarters. And this is, I mean, we'd like you to get baptized too, of course. But we're done here, huh? What's the next verse? What's 31 say? To the Jews who had believed in him. Who's the audience? Unbelieving Jews? Who's the audience? Agnostics? Atheists? Who's the audience? Believing Jews. Let's take that off the screen for a minute, Susan. In fact, why don't you put, uh, why don't you put James 2.19 on the screen? You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Have you heard all of your life all you need to do is believe on Jesus? I'm here to tell you that's not what the Gospel of John says. How many people do you know believe Jesus but live in sexual sin? How many people believe Jesus but cheat on their taxes? How many people believe Jesus, but if it's raining and you've got a flat, you cannot count on them to stop? You hearing me? And how about faith? They put their faith in him. Well, that sounds fantastic because faith's like a step beyond belief, right? Faith is, I trust you. Unless you're George Michael, right? Then faith's something you sing about. 
Y'all remember that video? Look, you remember that video. She's blushing. I won't imitate it for you. That'll make us all blush. I just remember as a young man in a Christian home, what that meant to us was that we went to church most of the time. None of us lived out the teachings of Christ. We didn't even come close. We weren't even really very serious about it. We just wanted to be middle of the road, pretty good people. That's what we wanted. So we were watching MTV. It's funny, my kids don't really know what that is. Uh, but I remember when it came out, it's like the devil entered my home. And he was attractive. Right? I can remember every song from that year. Because the devil found one more way, not just to get it through the ear gate, but to get it through the eye gate as well. It made an impact on my spirit, and it was not a good one. I remember that video, you got to have faith, he's singing. And the camera was so bold as it just dropped to his waistline. Well, this flaming homosexual, and none of the girls knew that at the time, shook his butt from side to side. And the world sang, you got to have faith. Well, the scripture says they put their faith in him. And the next line, it says to the Jews who believed in him. And we find out in James 2.19 that even the demons believe. Maybe herein lines a problem. Maybe there is an enormous difference to trust for just a little while. An enormous difference to believe for your whole life long than to actually live in a way that shows you're adhering to his teaching. I don't have a long message for you today. I have the same message that we preach every week in some form or fashion. It's not enough for us to say we believe Jesus. It's not. I, before we get there, I, I do want to play a video for you. This is a video of a pit bull. I want you to see it. See if it makes an impression on you. I want to submit to you that when Jesus says that you have to hold to his teachings, he means that you have to hold to his teachings like that dog wanted that branch, friends. This has been preached as just believe Jesus and it's all good. That was nowhere within their understanding because to believe on Jesus meant to them that you would adhere 
to him. If you believed it with all of your heart, you would fight for it. If you believed it, it would change everything. If you believe on Jesus and nothing has changed in your life, you deceive yourself. And what's worse than that, you're a part of deceiving the rest of the world because you muddy the waters for the rest of us. I lived like that far too long. And when he revealed himself to me, I've latched on. And I may not have any teeth left by the end of this, but I will gum at him if I have to. Let us read this verse one more time and maybe the Holy Ghost will let it sink in. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So many ministries, mine included, we emphasize if you can get to this altar and pray, oh man, the whole thing may change and it might because that might be the moment where you first adhere to him in an amazing way or you renew it in an amazing way and you begin to abide in him. But all too often it's simply a magic Jesus pill where we think, if I can get a revelation, I'll be free. If I can just understand more, I'll be free. If I can just believe him, I'll be free. No, the demons believe him and are very much not free. What produces freedom is believing in him and then living in his teaching. This is not just this verse alone. The entire fourth chapter of Ephesians says things like you must put off the old and put on the new. And as an example, he who has been stealing, you get a revelation that you don't steal anymore. Does that make you free? Not at all. When you stop stealing, does that make you free? Not really. You're just thinking about your next opportunity. When do you experience freedom? He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but do something useful with his hands. The freedom comes in not just turning from the wickedness, but engaging in righteousness, and that will set you free. It's a whole new way of life. It's not an acknowledgement just that you're wrong. It's not an acknowledgement that Jesus is right. This is my least favorite prayer. Jesus, we know you're right and we're all wrong. Well, good. Good for you. Every demon in the world will acknowledge that. How about this? Jesus, we know you're right and I personally am wrong in these ten areas. We don't like that one very much. We squirm with those. See, but when we get a revelation that causes us to live differently, live in the teachings of Jesus, 100% of the time you will find freedom. So I want to ask you, do you want freedom? I want you to hear what these people say to this. Would you agree that Jesus is teaching well? I mean, I, I'm not a good teacher, but is Jesus a good teacher? He's the good shepherd. Listen to the response. They answered him. We are Abraham's descendants and have never been a slave to anyone. How can you say we shall be set free? I'm having trouble grasping this. And I've studied the word for a long time. We're Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves of anyone. It's the first century. Who's occupying Israel? So, so those Roman tax collectors that are there, they're there because you just wanted them to be there. Mr. Israel, when they have snatched off your daughter, 
You, it, 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 was, it was all voluntary? What do you mean you've never been a slave of anyone? Your nation is enslaved right now. But they're not acknowledging it. See, it's almost as if they thought if they just proclaimed the freedom of the Lord, then they were free. But of course, in actuality, they were slaves. They were in denial. Not only were they slaves in a natural sense, outward, all around them, Roman soldiers walking around occupying their temple. But they were slaves inwardly to sin. And you know what? When you can't acknowledge what's going on inside of you, everything outside of you starts to get warped too. Suddenly everything is everyone else's fault. Suddenly you didn't do nothing wrong. It was just everybody else. See, you want to be set free? It's not enough to know Jesus is right. It's not enough to know he's right and you're wrong. You have to walk in his teaching and his teaching will teach you to put off your old life and take on his new life. And that creates freedom 100% of the time. Let me see that picture. Who knows who this is? <laughs> Let's be honest. You love Harriet because of the things she did, huh? I mean, no, nobody, nobody, is there anybody in here that just says, that is a drop-dead sexy woman I have to marry? Anybody? <laughs> anybody in here just immediately praise this woman because she's going to win the next beauty pageant? Nobody jumping up and down. But we know what she did, and that makes her beautiful, huh? You know, one of her favorite quotes for me, and it's, it's not the one on the screen. I'm going to share that one with you in a minute. She said, I, I can't die but once. <laughs> she wasn't going to fear it every day because it could, it could only happen one time, right? Oh, man, that's a revelation to get. I can't die but once. I was scared of it yesterday. I'm going to take today off. I was scared of it last year. I, I'm, I'm going to take the next decade off. I can only die once anyway. Harriet, is it true that you freed slaves? I freed thousands of slaves. I could have freed more if only they had known they were slaves. In this country, we have not acknowledged slavery to sin because we say we believe on Jesus. And the very people he spoke those words to also believed on Jesus. He said, no, they didn't. They were Jews. Read the text. To the Jews who believed him. Say, oh, well, see, no, the thing is, that's not real belief. Real belief is, that's what we call faith, pastor. You got faith, and that's real belief. Read the verse before it. Even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. So are you saying that it's not salvation by faith? I'm saying real faith is from beginning to end. It never stops. It's not temporary. It's not momentary. Oh, church, I can keep preaching, but you've heard what you need to hear. Let's be honest. All around us is the environment, I called it last week, candy apple Christians and powder puff prophets. It's all around us. Say, are you in love with Jesus? Well, uh, uh, I became a Christian in 1972. Not what I asked you. Hey, man, when did you radically head over heels, see your life turn around for Jesus? Well, I joined a church last year. Not what I asked you. 
We have learned to inoculate ourselves from the searing truth that would set us free. When do you know the truth and the truth sets you free? When you hold to his teachings. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Let me just ask you just to work backwards with me for a second. Now, I'm going to leave you alone. We're all going to go eat somewhere or whatever we do. If you sit out here right now and there is some dark crevice of your life that you don't want every other person in this room to know about, and if it was put up here on the screen, you would hide under your chair to get away from it. You sit out there and that's you. You are not free. And if you're not free, you're not holding to his teaching. And if you're not holding in his teaching, then you are not living in the truth. And if you are not free, you're not holding to his teaching and you're not living in the truth. You can believe and maybe at some point you put your faith in him. But what good is it doing you right now? So what's the answer? The answer is to cry out to the living God to help you walk in his teaching. So that he will reveal more and more of himself to you, more and more of his power to you. And he will set you free. See, this is like when God told Adam, if you eat from it, you're going to die. He ate from it and <laughs> I'm not dead. He was, he just didn't know it. He was and he didn't know it. We say that when we believe on Jesus, we're free. Prove it. You're free when you can demonstrate freedom. Look. There are a thousand ways to address this. Here's just a pastor's heart. I'm proud of this congregation. I mean, I am proud by every measurable standard. Brother Charlie told me last week, we need, we, we need to check those numbers, pastor. We need to tell you, keep telling everybody that 40% of everything that we have, it, it goes to missions. And we need to check those numbers, make sure we're not lying to people. So, amen, let's, let's check those numbers. It was 41.5%. I'm proud of this church. I see what you do. I see that we preach in prisons. I see that you care for the homeless. I see that. If we want to make a mark for God, though, we have to walk in his freedom, not walk in good programs, not walk in good scripture memorization, not walk with a good tagline. We have to walk in his freedom. I'm going to tell you just from my perspective, that'll take you off the hook. Very often I walk in this freedom and I start feeling something creeping up on me that's trying to entangle me. And I don't always recognize what it is, and sometimes I indulge it for a while. I'm like, yeah, that's right. John is a jerk, you know? In fact, what we should do is we should wait for John to get here. We should all just kick him in the groin. Don't act like you had never said anything like that. I know you. And then you, you snap out of it, usually in a prayer time, and you go, John loves the Lord. And yeah, he, he burned the Cheerios or whatever, but probably I, I shouldn't kill John over that. And Lord, I got a terrible problem. I told four people I wanted to kill John over that. And then the Lord begins to deal with you and says, well, good, you got four people to go repent to. Well, well Lord, you know I, I repented. If we walk in his teachings, you will get set free. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, you're looking at a man whose eyes 
have been set free. I'm like Job. I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look at anything unholy. But I hadn't always been free. And I could lie to you. And I could say, no, no, no. I've always been pure as the driven snow. Of course, then I'd be bound. See, when we can acknowledge where we're really at, then his truth can begin to set us free because you start walking in his teachings. And the beginning of it is repentance. And real repentance is not just an altar. Real repentance begins if it's something like that and then continues forward. Can you say amen to that? Would you like to worship a little bit? There are seven I am statements in John. Of course, there's seven in Isaiah. And I bet there's 70 in the Older Testament. You know, the I am statements are amazing. I reordered them for you today. I threw out the one that says I am the gate. He is the gate. So that we could get to the one that says I am he and links him to every other prophecy about God and all of the Bible. And yet, while I hope some of you will study that and it grows in your understanding and becomes a blessing, what good would it be if we just became educated sinners? Hmm? My last little anecdote for you. I was working in South Louisiana. And in Texas, all of the people are beautiful. In South Louisiana, a few of them are. And in this little sewing factory, where all of the people were the same height and width, they were having terrible corporal tunnel. Anybody know what corporal tunnel is? And so they brought in physical therapists, and I got to sneak in as their representative. And we learned a terrible lesson that day. We explained to everyone what the signs and symptoms of corporal tunnel were. We had about a 95% rate of people that now believe they have corporal tunnel because we've given them the signs and the symptoms. And they'll fight for it. They're convinced they have it, and it is the employer's fault. So at the next place we went to, we only gave them half of the signs and symptoms of corporal tunnel so that when they came forward and reported them, we could test them. We could say, oh, well, then you must have numbness and tingling in your thumb. Oh, yeah, I got that too. Oh, good, because that can't be corporal tunnel. It doesn't produce that. What? We have in this country told everyone they, what they have to say, what they have to believe to fake the real thing. And they don't even mean to fake it. We're self-deceived. We think that because we know all about it, then we are the genuine article. You are the genuine article, friend, when you are free. Anybody want to be free today? We sing it. Let's stand to our feet.